We're under the microscope. We shift our attention away from uh, the water headaches of uh, Makanda Municipality out in the university town of uh, what was known, formerly known as Gramstown in the Eastern Cape. And uh, we now shift our attention uh, to the uh, 2020 metric uh, results. Now, uh, the 2020 metric pass rate has dropped to 76.2% from 81.3% of the previous year. And the class of 2020, the seventh group, uh, to write the exams under the CAPS system, the Curriculum and Assessment Policy Statement. And um, I guess, as I said earlier, it certainly could have been a lot worse if one takes into account the kind of year that we've had. And uh, kudos once again to many parents, teachers, and pupils uh, who have uh, made sure that uh, uh, I guess uh, they are able to cross this particular hurdle, uh, notwithstanding the uncertainty that uh, comes with COVID-19. To talk to us about these results, what they tell us about uh, the state of our basic education system and uh, you know uh, many of the inequities across the society and how they play themselves out uh, in this uh, system. I'm joined by Professor Mweketi Litsika, uh, who's the uh, UNESCO Chair on Open Distance Learning at the University of South Africa. Prof, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, everyone. I'm glad you have me on the air. I'm glad yeah, thank you very much. much. Thank you very much for joining us. Prof, I guess the starting point for many people is uh, to lament the drop uh, from uh, 81.3% uh, uh, you know, uh, or so uh, down now to 76.2%. But uh, maybe those numbers, I guess, don't give enough of the context for us to make a proper assessment. Absolutely. I mean, um, look, I, I, I did an analysis of these results prior to their release yesterday with Ms. Amanda Watson of, of, the, of the citizen. And we, we projected then that we were, would be lucky if we were to get anything even approximating the 80% uh, closer to the, the, um, the results that we got in 2019, which was 81.3. And we need to be realistic. Um, we really need to be realistic. When you consider that the world over, um, schools closed. I'm fortunate because I, I, I'm an Indonesia, but I'm also a member of this broader United Nations agency called UNESCO. And one of the things that um, was drawn to my attention as a harsh reality was on the 25th of March last year, I was part of a, a webinar that joined the Director General, Ms. Audrey Ozile, and the numbers that she gave then, then, was that we need to be mindful of the fact that as a result of the outbreak of COVID-19 worldwide, 1.6 billion learners were out of school. And it was necessary for the simple prerogative of health. If younger people congregate, come together, the risks of losing their young lives would, would, be, would be accentuated. And COVID protocols demanded that Children then had to be, you know, away. They had to stay at home. And I use a, I use a simple image. If you drive down Long Street in Cape Town, there's this image on the wall that just says, stay at home. Everybody stayed at home. The academic year was sure. lost. So because of that, there was no schooling. No matter how hard we tried in South Africa to open and reopen, mm. you know how it was. We went into a yo-yo where we opened and then teachers were infected. We closed, we reopened, then some learners were infected. And eventually, a decision was that, um, no, we need to close. And when we close, then we go online. 
the only option was we can drive the the syllabus, the academic year, if we go online. Yes, it sounds good on the surface, but then we are looking at what? 10, 12% of the affluent families that live in suburbs or that live in homes where they have all the basic necessities like running water, ablution, electricity, mm-hmm. where kids have smartphones, tablets, and, and, and laptops. What about the 70% that lives in informal settlements, in the rural villages, in the townships, sure. in broken homes? How do we account for that? So we were dealing with a major crisis. Um, the Director General, if you had properly, Mr. Mswedi, when he did his presentation, one of the things he, he lamented was that COVID-19 was marked by prolonged school closure. Mm. Was prolonged. He mentioned prolonged school closure. He mentioned uh, incessant uh, learner absence, teacher absence. But he also brought an important thing, the emotional, social well-being of learners. Sure. Remember that sure. there are also learners who die. There was learner absenteeism, extended closure, teacher absenteeism, school closures. But the conditions of twenty of 2020 under COVID-19 were difficult. Difficult not for South Africa, but difficult for the world. The world is experiencing the same thing that we are experiencing right now. This is not peculiar to South Africa. It's happening across the world. The United States schools are closed. The results are bad. In the UK, the results are bad. Everyone else is expecting the results not to be what they should have been under normal circumstances because we were living under abnormal circumstances. Sure, sure. Professor Letseka, I want us to uh, pause there for a second and mm. uh, take a quick spot break. When we come back, uh, let's try and make sense of some of the numbers here, sure. uh, both from a quantitative, uh, but also importantly from a qualitative perspective. So while mm-hmm. uh, we've seen a decline in the pass rate uh, at an sure. aggregate level, if we look at the quality of some of the passes here, uh, certainly this is a uh, class that is much stronger than some of uh, the classes that have preceded <laughs> it. And we'll continue on that score after this. Sure. It is uh, before 9 p.m. Uh, 2020 matric pass rate uh, dropping from 81.3% in the previous year and uh, now down to 76.2%. And uh, this evening on Under the Microscope, we try and make sense of this. And uh, while we might lament uh, this uh, decline in the aggregate pass rate, it certainly doesn't tell us the story from a qualitative perspective 
of uh, how the class of 2020 has fared. And I'm joined by Professor Mweke Tsilitsika, uh, who is the UNESCO Chair on uh, Open Distance Learning at the University of South Africa. Now, Prof, uh, one of the things that came throughout uh, strongly today was uh, how strong a cohort the Minister of Basic Education felt that the class of 2020 was. Um, and uh, I guess also the class that had started um, in 2009 in uh, the basic education system, effectively when the Minister of Basic Education started in her role, and um, they've, they've uh, gone through the entire system with her. Uh, so uh, certainly, I guess, uh, coming full circle, if one might think of it in that way. But if we look at it from a qualitative perspective, a much stronger showing by this cohort, notwithstanding the sort of lower aggregate pass rate, uh, when it comes to bachelor passes and I guess the quality of passes that have come through from this class. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I sat through the, the presentation and, and I listened to um, the Director General, the Minister talk about it. But one thing that came out very clearly is, you know, we, we forget that um, human beings are, are very adaptable. Uh, there's a saying that desperate um, circumstances call for desperate measures. I got a sense that we missed something. We missed a bigger picture here. That this is a this was a cohort of students that, for the first time in our our experience as a country, running in the street, this is a, a cohort that had to operate in unusual circumstances. And it seems to me that they they adapted. A lot of our students under normal circumstances, year in year out, seem to operate within this mindset that things will be there if they are behind there will be an arrangement. The department will create uh, catch-up classes. They will go somewhere. I mean, this is a year when such privileges were not there. So it seems to me, at a psychological point of view, uh, this cohort realized that we, we need to get up. The circumstances are completely out of reach. It's abnormal. Mm. But we need to look to what is it that we want to make out of the year. And it seems to me that they, they became very innovative. They became... Um, there was a, a stronger, what came out of the talk today was that this class seemed to have developed a stronger sense of, of resilience, a stronger sense of go-getter. I mean, mm. the, the percentage that came out here, it, even in my view, I mean, I've been in the field of education now for, for over 35 years. This is unbelievable. I, I actually predicted that we're pro probably going to have something between 8 and 10% decline. I was wrong. They put me wrong because they seem to have adapted to the circumstances and they seem to have come to a realization that they need to work within the context, within the trying situations in which they found themselves. So they were very adaptable. Yes, I think the COVID-19 circumstances taught them how to survive. And they, I think they went beyond survival. They flourished. Mm, mm, mm. I think, I think I, it did yes, something strong came out of them. They realized that they need, they need to, to design and craft a future for themselves in mm. really unusual circumstances. And forget, about, forget about the 5.1 decline. Look at how their survival mode was in. They mm. went into what you call um, overdrive. They switched into a different gear. Sure. And you can imagine if the future students that you can have in South Africa mm. can operate as if we are under COVID circumstances, even sure. if... Sure assuming we'll reach some kind of normalcy, then you'll see that kind of initiative. There's a sense mm. of dependence in this country. There's a sense that if things are not well, 
we can blame the department, we can blame anybody else. I don't think students, this 2020 class, had sure, anybody sure. else to blame because COVID-19 was to blame and COVID-19 meant the whole world was under a state of paralysis. So they realized mm. that they had to come out and, and, and assert themselves. And I think they did. They became yeah, yeah. psychological winners. It's certainly encouraging, Prof, uh, when, when yeah. we think about you know, the, the upcoming generation. Mm. having that strength of fortitude and character sure. to go through uh, such an uncertain moment. But, but I want to shift away, I guess, from the pupils who, as I said, you know, deserve all of the kudos and uh, must be commended mm. for their efforts, for their fortitude. And uh, I guess uh, in this difficult moment, uh, one might say, you know, their mental toughness. Uh, I don't know if I should be putting it in that sense. But if we are to shift the attention now to the systemic drivers you know, of the basic education system. I mean, many people said last year that this is the year where we're going to see whether or not in the current moment we have the capacity to undertake a blended learning model. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, when you sit back now, February 2021, and you make mm. sense of what has happened in 2020, I sit here and I say, we probably didn't pass that particular test. And some yeah. of the reasons why we didn't pass that test have very little to do with the Department of Basic Education in some cases, no. No. but have to do with... Uh, the provision of water, the provision of uh, telecommunications yeah. infrastructure, the provision of all of the other incidental things that yeah. make the educational process function. And I think uh, we're probably found wanting on those. Look, there are, there are examples across Africa. And one of the, one of the dilemmas we face in this country is, is the perception. You know, the rest of our, our, um, our regional bloc if you go to Swaziland, you go to Botswana, you go to Zambia, Zimbabwe, and across Namibia, Angola, there's a view that you know South Africans tend to think that they're better than anybody else. And you know, our president sometimes made a mess of it, our former president, by saying this is not like a road in Malawi. I've yes, had the opportunity yes, yes. to be in the town of Kigali in Rwanda. Mm. If you were to take the GDP strength of South Africa and compare it the GDP strength, basically the economic uh, capability of, of Rwanda compared to South mm. Africa. South Africa is a, a super economic giant. Sure. South Africa has been the richest country on the continent of Africa for many years until it mm. got overtaken by Nigeria in terms of economic the most industrialized, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's so, in terms of resources, money, infrastructure, we are supposed to be far apart, but we are not. I, I was in, in Kigali in Rwanda and I was amazed. People tend to think that Rwanda is about Kigali, Kigali the cleanest city. No. But what Rwanda does is, has been to create, to latch onto, first of all, the fourth industrial revolution. Now, the Rwandans are even experimenting with the 5G technology. Now, in this country, I'll, I can take you back to the former Minister of Information, who failed this country when it came to transferring from analog to digital because they didn't just agree to put a signature so that South Africa can then sign and ensure that the 4, 4G uh, technology rolls out. I think countries like mm. the of Switzerland already embraced the 4G technology before. So we are saying yeah. um, we don't need money in order to make technological um, aspects available to the, the rural people. We can create signals, we can create um, Wi-Fi hotspots, we can talk to them cellular companies to, to, to pledge their corporate social responsibility, to make data cheaper, to make the gadgets available for anybody else. In, in, in Rwanda, the telephone 
is used for a lot of what people here would you would, would, would rely on the, the tablet or a laptop. A telephone mm. is used in Rwanda to reach out to school. So we need to be more creative about and innovative about how we, we plug the benefits of the fourth industrial revolution to reach out. So mm. yes, you're absolutely right. We tend to lament the fact that the services are poor. Yes, the services are poor. The government has failed. I mean, there are communities in this country that still don't have running water, that still sure, don't have electricity, sure. that still don't have the basic. And then COVID wants us to have those services, mere services, so that we can protect kids. There's a lot of mm. failure, uh, systemic failures at the executive level that have to be lamented. And like I said, it's not a question of money. It's just the question of people. But people with the commitment to the poorest of the poor. So yes, the poorest of the poor in this country have been completely failed, and it, it's unfortunate because the, the the larger percentage, the larger proportion of our our learners come from the poorer communities, the rural communities, yeah, the townships, yeah. the informal segments. If we cannot ensure people whether these are deemed poor and the first quintile communities, but if we can ensure that those basic services are available, who will have won the battle? Kids are very innovative. Once they can have access to technology, they are not like us, the the, the born before technology. They they mm. manipulate, they test, sure. and they, they source sure. information. So yes, you're absolutely right. Okay. They, they fail at the top, at the policy level. Yeah, yeah. Prof, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there, and uh, we have uh, run out of time, but a pleasure catching up with you, and uh, a lot to think about.